What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for this week's Know Your Foe episode. One of our good friends, Alex Kazora is back from, uh, you know, to talk about the the Pittsburgh Steelers. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I need a good microphone set up like you have, Ken. You, I always come on here and you always, always feel like you're the guy that I got to follow because I have this very just basic, I feel like I'm, and this is a reference you'll probably get, I feel like I'm Wilson from Home Improvement where no one can see <laughs> my face or just kind of covered up here yeah. by the mic, but hopefully everything sounds okay at least. Oh, you're saying relative to the camera. Okay, yeah, I, I you know, 
that's it's always a, a issue for me. But I used to have it so that my camera was pointing up, and you, everybody you see my extra chin here. <laughs> and you know, it's a, anyway, it's a, it, it did take years for this. My my wife finally had to tell me, no, you need to shoot down on yourself here after <laughs> there you go. Anyway, uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, a writer for SteelersDepot.com. And so check out the site there. Um, for Ravens fans, every Friday, uh, the team, myself, that's uh, Josh Carney, Jonathan Hightrider, and me, do a Ravens scouting report. So breakdown of the offense and defense, both individually and schematically. And you can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. All right. Outstanding. Need to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been very good to us. They have a lime seltzer flavor that I'd recommend. Uh, and uh, any purchase you can make for them, I'm sure will end up helping us in the, in the long run. So Alex, let's talk a little bit about the Steelers and how 2023, how 2022 has gone so far. I remember you telling me at the, at the end of last year that you thought you could, you could live with one, or maybe it was at the beginning of this year, you could live with one down year from this. Is that a, still a reasonable expectation for the Steelers in terms of, of being able to go back into playoff contention in 2023 not that they're out in 2022. It's reasonable, but it doesn't make it any easier to handle that transitional type year. I think I've compared it with you, Ken, in the past to what the Patriots were like the first year post Tom Brady. I think they went seven to nine in that year with Cam Newton as their, their veteran bridge type quarterback to Mac Jones. And I think it's basically the equivalent of what Pittsburgh's facing this year, there's just more angst behind it because it is a fair critique of Mike Tomlin and of this team. The Steelers have not won a playoff game since 2016, and that is not the standard that's been set in Pittsburgh. So you understood coming into this year, just all the new pieces at quarterback, the new GM, just the, some of the big bedrock changes that are foreign to, to Steelers and, and Steelers fans. Um, but whenever you're in that midst of that drought to at least win a playoff game, let alone get into actual, actual, uh, Super Bowl contention, there's that angst and that frustration that kicks in more whenever you're in danger of not making the playoffs at all. We certainly have it here, too, in terms of two playoff wins since 2012. And uh, people want to say they've only won two playoff games in the last 10 years, but it's really only nine years. They've won six playoff games in the last 10 years. So, you know, people people also forget that there's only 11 playoff wins per year to be doled out. No, now it's 13, isn't it? But it used to be 11 for a long time. Now it's 13 playoff wins to be doled out every year. So each play, each team only gets about a third of a playoff win per year. If, you, if you're beating that on average, that's a good thing. Uh, and, and the successful franchises, of course, like the Steelers, like the Ravens, measured against their own standard. Uh, and and it, uh, it, it makes their fans kind of perpetually unhappy about things. <laughs> it's the cost of high expectations. It's a blessing <laughs> and a curse. There you go. There you go. So I guess the biggest story we we, we kind of want to start with is, is the move from Trubisky to Pickett and how Pickett has performed this year so far. Yeah, it happened earlier than I thought it would. The move from Trubisky to Pickett, that was back in week four at halftime against the Jets. And, you know, the team has stuck with Pickett ever since, barring some of the injuries that he's had. He's had two concussions so far. I think Pickett has been competent. I think he's had good moments. He's had bad moments like any rookie quarterback. And I just try to, my whole philosophy this year, Ken, in, in terms of Pickett is evaluate, analyze, but don't conclude. We're so prisoners of the moment that we want to say after just a couple of games, Pickett's the guy or Pickett's not the guy. And you ride this roller coaster that you'll drive yourself crazy from. Cleveland did it with Baker Mayfield for years. I'm sure it happened with Lamar 
early in his career, Joe Flacco early in his career. So I think Pickett's been composed. He's been poised. He's really become a steadying and, and leader presence on a very young offense, a very green and new offense overall. He's been accurate. He's been mobile. He's shown improvement. Um, but there's still been down moments as well. Reading defenses, reading blitzes, post-snap rotations, red zone play. He's been one of the worst red zone quarterbacks in football this year. There's been typical growing pains associated with the the newness of the offense and obviously him being a rookie. So I've been generally encouraged by the steady progression that he's shown, but there's still a ways to go. And I haven't really sat back to think about his season in totality until the year ends. And then I can start kind of thinking about where he was at the start, where he's at now and kind of put that all together. But uh, it's a very boring answer. There's been good. There's been bad. That's typical of a first round rookie quarterback. It's a, it's a very measured response for starters. I mean, you, you, first of all, I very much believe in you analyze with the data you have. So it's never the appropriate answer to say, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. We don't know yet to everything. But then again, we need more data points is not really an inappropriate point. And that is kind of the same answer. Okay. Is that, is that we just don't, we don't just don't have enough, but I do believe you make predictions on the fly. You, You say, okay, well, as of this game, I would say, yes, he's on track to be, with, with projecting a reasonable amount of growth that he would be where he wants to be. And the Ravens certainly have that question at safety and offensive line with their first round draft picks this year in terms of, are they really on schedule to be good players? Um, and, and I think that it's natural to have that for Pickett. I guess one of the real questions is him or Malik Willis. Was there, is there any doubt in your mind that they got the right guy? Well, I was, I was a Malik Willis guy. I was buying into that hype, understanding that he was, he is, was and still is so far away from being whatever his ceiling and whatever finished product looks like for Malik Willis. My thought was with him, and I wasn't alone in that, was if you look at the top quarterbacks in football, they make those high-level plays outside of structure, understanding that most of what a quarterback does, 80%, is inside structure, inside the pocket, the basic, the fundamentals of it. But to really elevate yourself, there's a there's another layer that the Mahomes and the Allens and Lamar Jacksons have. And Willis, I thought, if you could bring that out of him, had that ability. My concern with Pickett, big picture, both pre-draft and now, is you're in an AFC for the next decade. You're competing with Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Tua. Do you have a quarterback Deshaun that can Watson. elevate? Deshaun division, Watson, yeah. right. You have. Can you... Do you have a quarterback that can compete and have his game similar to those guys? Because you might not see all of them, but you're going to see some of them in any postseason run that you that you may make. And, and that was my concern with Pickett. What is the ceiling? What is the upside? Are you going to be a Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins? That's a good quarterback, but not at that level and kind of be in this quarterback purgatory of, we have a good quarterback, but you're always just you know second fiddle to those top tier guys. Well, that that would make more sense for to take a really high variance guy like Willis who, you know, potentially could be, you know, much more of a boomer bust candidate, obviously, than, than Pickett is. Right. And obviously in Tennessee, Willis has struggled immensely. They've done everything they can to shield him and, and run the football. So I understand that he's struggling, but that should be no surprise because Willis was not a, a day one or a year one type of guy. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about the coaching staff in the front office. And of course, the Steelers pride themselves in, in a long, long winning tradition. And Tomlin has never had a leading, losing season. It's at risk this year, although they certainly could win their last two games and and get them to nine and eight. How big a deal is that to you that that streak continue? Honestly, not that I ever want to see this team have a losing season or lose. There's been a, a certainly a group of Steeler fans who want them to lose for draft 
position. Mm-hmm. I'm not really in that camp. I'd rather A, it's just more fun to enjoy wins, and B, if you win, that means your guys played well and that development's better for the future than three picks higher in the draft. But can I loathe the Tomlin has never had a losing season <laughs> stat? And in some ways, if it happens this year, I'll be relieved because I'll never have to hear it again. The standard in, in Pittsburgh is not to go eight and eight or nine and eight or 500. It's put trophies and trophy cases. That's the standard in Pittsburgh. So I can respect the difficulty of that, the consistency required to have that sort of streak. That's so rare just to coach this long in general, regardless of losing seasons is, is so rare to have Tomlin, the, the second longest tenured coach in football, but 500 is never my goal. It's never my Tomlin's goal. And so I always kind of cringe a bit when I hear that stat on my, my television. Yeah. I I can understand that. Been a lot of things. A lot of streaks have ended recently, including you know Justin Tucker's fourth quarter field goal streak, and that I think he's missed two now. Uh, in in uh, you know, I missed one one then one more. But uh, but in some ways, it's kind of a relief to have that be you know something you don't have to hear sure. about all the time. Uh, let's talk about development of of players this year, and, and who are some of the key development guys for the Steelers and who who took a step back in terms of where you were expecting them in the in the years one through four in particular yeah in terms of guys that have stepped up I mean again it's a really young offense overall you talk about the rookie class that's an obvious place to start second round pick George Pickens um you know I think he's progressed he's obviously the Z type receiver the vertical receiver that makes those really crazy contested catch grabs and Generally, I'm not a fan of the guys who have to win contested so much. I rather my favorite receiver is an open one, and so I like the, the really you know good route runners. Um, but I think Pickens is one of the few guys that can consistently win because he just has this amazing elite ability to win to to, to catch the ball at its highest point to win those type of jump ball moments. And I think he's progressed as a receiver in terms of his route tree expanding and um, creating more space and things like that. So so that's been good. Um, you know, I think Devin Bush has inc- has improved this year as well. Uh, I don't think it's good enough for him to come back, but I've seen progression from Devin Bush from where he was last year to, to where he is now. I want to go back to Pickens for a second because he was a guy a lot of Ravens wanted. We had a draft show, and, and at 45, basically, the consensus of people certainly wanted Pickens and not a Jabo at that point. There were a couple other names bandied about, but but most were Pickens. So the, the question I would have about this is um, – and now I forgot what it was about Pickens. Oh yeah, um, uh, no question about him being a deal where the where the Steelers got him at the time. Were you guys happy about it? Yeah, I was. I mean, the Steelers' sweet spot has kind of been day two type receivers. Juju, George Pickens. There's a there's a pretty long list of guys there. I mean, there was no there was no question about the talent that George Pickens had, even in a super deep receiver class like 22. Had it not been for that torn ACL in March, uh, I guess it was March. Uh, 22 um he would have been a first round kind of guy i mean the talent was just immense and then there was some reports about character concerns but if the steelers draft you your character's probably pretty good because they never take those red flag guys they have not done so in in probably a decade now and so to me the issue is never about talent it was just the injury pushing down and a deep class pushing down and pittsburgh swept on in okay so they vetted him pretty well now and as a receiver um, you, you mentioned him being a contested catch guy. What's he shown you in this first year in terms of wiggle at the top of the route? Something to make a make a defensive back guess wrong. 
Yeah, not much. I think the biggest concern I had on him coming out of Georgia was the lack of nuance. I mean, he was 21 years years old when he came out. He played in the run-heavy offense and barely played his last year at Georgia because of the injury. And so there was a lot of rawness and a lack of nuance in his game, especially at the top of his route, creating space. I mean, he really was a vertical type of guy. Again, I think he has gotten better. I think he's been a bit more refined. He's moving around a bit more. He's played in the slot. He's a little more sudden at the top of his route. Um, it's never going to be his calling card, but I've seen progression. But again, the way he's able to consistently win contested is really high level. It's really rare. I think it's sustainable to allow him to be that, you know, that type of guy for his whole career. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff, and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take liquid death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take liquid death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get liquid death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find liquid death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. All right. Um, other players, you just one through four. Alex Highsmith obviously having a big year. Yeah, 12 sacks, and, and that's been needed when T.J. Watt was out for about half the season. And I think Highsmith has really progressed into a, a well-rounded guy, and he's probably next in line to get paid next summer. I think while Baltimore potentially will have their Lamar Jackson discussions in Pittsburgh, it's going to be Alex Highsmith discussions. And he won't get paid T.J. Watt money, but he'll probably get paid, I'm guessing, about $20 million per year, maybe a bit more. Um, his inside spin move, is Stanley playing this week? And I haven't followed yes, things Stanley's too well. Playing. Uh, watch on third down, big money down, Alex Eismith inside spin counter. He's got a great pass rush plan, and so it's a move he uses only in those big weighty moments to run speed and bull rush all game. And then on that third down, that got to have it moment, hits you with the inside spin. But he's a really well-rounded guy, quiet guy, works really hard, and his progression's been fantastic. Yeah, he's he's definitely already done some big things against the Ravens with the interception last year in particular, I, I, I recall. The... Um, uh, uh, so Highsmith, a, a big developmental, and maybe not a surprise, obviously, because of where he's drafted, but but anyway, a big depart, depart, uh, developmental positive. Who else? Who else has really stepped up in the in in among those one to four year guys? Yeah, well, some of the rookies have kind of been moved away. Some of the draft classes haven't been as quality. Chase Claypool in Chicago, which was a great deal, I think, for Pittsburgh uh, both then and certainly as you look at it right now, I think about the 2020 class, um, you know, Kevin Dotson's the, the the left starting left guard. He's a talented player, but he's super frustrating. The technique's just a mess mentally. There's too many penalties, 10, penalty this, uh, 10 penalties this year on Kevin Dotson. I think if you look at where this team will upgrade next year, it's just overall in the trenches. I think left guard is where you start that conversation along the offensive line. 
Um, some other guys, the punter Presley Harvin's been better than where he was last year. Not, you know, he's about average overall. Look at some of the the, the baseline numbers across the league. Trade Norwood, a second year safety. He's got a hamstring injury. Hasn't taken the jump that I thought he would. Ditto with defensive lineman Isaiah Loudamoke. So um, some of the rookie classes haven't been as impressive, but um, some of the hits have been big when you see Alex Highsmith having his breakout breakout season. So I guess three guys I want to talk to that you haven't really mentioned yet are from the 21 class, Harris, Fryermuth, and Green, the first three picks. And you know what? More also. That's a pretty pretty good run of four picks there. But I know they haven't all been completely satisfying. Yeah, Harris has been much better since the bye. Um, he was basically hurt since the first carry of training camp on day one of pads. His second carry, he had a foot injury, and it cost him most of the preseason. He came back very late re-injured something in week one against the Bengals and, and really didn't play well. Um, one guy they found as a diamond in the rough is, is Jalen Warren, undrafted back at Oklahoma State. Now they're third down back, so it's more of a, a split between those guys than Harris being the workhorse back that he was in his rookie season. Pat Frymuth has really taken a big step up in terms of his uh, receiving ability, post-catch type stuff. They're using him more vertically. Last year, really was used like a running back. I mean, he was averaging eight and a half yards per catch. This year, he's over 11 yards per catch. He's got multiple 20-plus yard receptions. And so as a blocker, work to do. But as a receiver, one of Kenny Pickett's favorite targets. Kendrick Green was a miss. It was a bad pick at the time, a misevaluation. Um, he's been a back of the entire year. And Dan Moore at left tackle, I think he's a, a talented guy, a hard worker, struggles with power, struggles with bull rushes. Um, that's been his biggest biggest issue is punch, his hand placement. But he's progressed a lot from the summer under new offensive line coach Pat Meyer. And and so it's been good to see his progression. Is he a franchise left tackle? Probably not, but he certainly has improved from last year to this year. He's definitely one of the guys that a lot of Ravens fans wanted as a um backup tackle coming out of that draft with all the problems the Ravens had with injuries at tackle in particular. That would have, you know, been a really nice guy to 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 have. Um Let's see. I think I've asked you all a drop in catch rate by Fryermuth this year. How much of that do you do you put on the quarterbacks as opposed to on on the tight end? In in, in what number in terms of receptions? Catch, per yeah, game? no, his catch rate is. I, I noticed it dropped from seventy six percent to under sixty seven percent. Okay. Um, I hadn't thought about it too much. It may be some of the lack of accuracy. It's probably just because he's being used more vertically. So the further down the field you are, the mm -hmm. probably the more that number decreases. And I think last year, his longest reception was 24 yards. And in week one against the Bengals, he had a catch longer than that already. And I think he's already got, I don't know, five, six, 10 receptions of 20 plus yards this year. So I think it's just a product of him being used vertically a bit more. Okay. Yards per reception and yards per target are both up. I always tell people yards per target is the most important statistic for any receiving position. So uh, he's up significantly there, 7.7 .7 versus 6.3 last year. All right. Well, uh, terrific. Uh, uh, key injuries, any injuries that like, more or less define the, the, the Steelers season, like the Ravens season has been defined by a few. <laughs> Well, you have a lot more of them than Pittsburgh's had. I mean, obviously, TJ Watt, that big week one win against the Bengals came at a big cost with Watt tearing his peck, and he's rarely been healthy this year. I mean, he came back after the bye a couple weeks later against the Colts as a rib injury. Didn't miss time, but a rib injury hurts like crazy, and you're getting chipped all game. I'm sure that did not feel too good for TJ Watt. So it's been a difficult season for him overall. Of course, he's back and will play against the Ravens on Sunday. Um, in terms of injuries right now, nothing major of note. Marcus Allen, core special teamer, up back. I do love my special teams, and he's the starting up back. And the backup up back is Trey Norwood, who's hurt as well. And so it 
punt rushes. That's a, maybe a concern, something to watch for there. Um, Terrell Edmonds, strong safety, should return this weekend. Kenny Pickett, of course, is playing. So no major injuries overall. All right. All right. Very good. That's certainly a lot better situation than the Ravens are in. There's a long-run cap situation now. New quarterback on the first-year deal. I guess the eight, whatever was left on, on uh, Roethlisberger's contract this year, correct? Yeah, the dead money there, that'll be gone for, for next year. Okay. So where does that put the the Steelers in, in terms of cap room? Pretty pretty good position, or do they have some other contracts that are escalating into their their real heavy payout years, like with Minka or with uh, uh, TJ Watt or whoever else it might be? Yeah, I don't have an exact number, and until the 2023 cap number is known, we don't, it's hard to really put that in, on a concrete variable. But shorter answer is they're going to have a lot of money. They're going to have a lot of cap space overall. Um, Dave Bryan, the Steelers Depot, does a great job covering that. He knows it and studies it more than I do, so I can't speak to, to his level on that. But short answer is they should have a lot of money, and, and, and that'll be important for a new regime. And we don't talk about new regimes in Pittsburgh too often, but Omar Khan, the new GM, Andy Weidel, the assistant GM, you know, they didn't get hired last year until May, until after the draft, after the bulk of free agency. And so this is really their first offseason to have an offseason and have a free agency and really build this roster out in their vision. Of course, Khan, internal hires, so he's not new, but still he's the one now calling the shots. And I think that's probably going to lend itself to quite a bit of turnover because those guys can build things how they want to. A lot of free agents defensively upcoming for Pittsburgh. And so there's probably going to be more changes defensively than offensively. But I imagine that Omar Khan, Andy White will have a lot of things they want to see in their vision that they did not get to do when they were first hired. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on and talk about the offense a little bit. Uh, tell me, what do the Steelers do exceptionally well right now? What do they do well uh, as currently constituted? Well, it's not a lot they do exceptionally well when you're the 29th ranked offense in football and have had a, a lot of problems this year, only scored more than 25 points in one game. Exceptionally well is not a not a phrase used too often in Pittsburgh. There's certainly been a, a stronger and better commitment to the run game post-buy, and that was one of the big reasons why they were bottoming out pre-buy because you had Trubisky and then Kenny Pickett averaging 50 dropbacks per game, and that just not that was not sustainable, not a way this team could win. They they just did not win, obviously. And so since the bye, they've done a better job to really commit to the run, have a better run game overall. And and you've certainly seen this offense be able to control the clock more, control time of possession. And, and that's been you know really important uh, for this offense. So I would just say the stronger run game and more consistent run game uh, has been one thing they've gotten better at and certainly strive to do. Um, and, and all those kinds of things. So I think that's probably where their their strength is. Their identity is a bit clear in terms of being able to run the ball, and they've been more successful at it. Short passing game. I mean, with what they've gotten, I, you know, you mentioned that Fryermuth had been used more vertically, but they certainly have him to to try and exploit the middle of the field as needed. Uh, and they have, you know, still some talented receivers. Deontay Johnson is still a stealer, right? Yeah. Uh, the short pass game, you know, it's been a bit of a struggle. One frustration with OC Matt Canada has been, especially early in the year, a lot of concepts outside the numbers do not really allow for a lot of yak opportunity, which would be important for guys like Deontay Johnson, who are at their best post-catch and creating space. Uh, again, that's been better since the first four to six weeks of the season, where they've been able to lean less on boots and rollouts and, and, and routes to the flat and to the sideline and comebacks and curls. Um, and so that's improved. It, 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 there's not really been a clear identity offensively. It's been, I guess, Johnson a bit more short, Pickens more vertical, Pat Fryer with more middle of the field. But it really has been hard to have a cohesive pass game 
because of some of the quarterback struggles and turnover. And again, just a real strong focus, especially post by on that running game. All right. All right. Fair enough. Uh, in terms of, of how they're running the football right now, talk a little bit maybe about the offensive line concepts they use, what's been successful. Yeah, it's really been varied, to be honest, Ken. I would love to say that they have a bread-and-butter type scheme. It's really been a variety. New offensive line coach Pat Myers, who's t- in Pittsburgh, the offensive line coach has always kind of been the, the run game coordinator, so I assume that's still holding true with Pat Meyer. Um, he's thrown every single concept, whether you're talking toss game, gap scheme, uh, zone blocking, uh, more inside zone than outside zone, even some wham blocking crunch where these you know double wham type blocks they've used a, a little bit here and there, so... Um, they kind of tried to throw everything at the at the wall. Uh, this offensive line, one thing that's been really good for them, and one re- hidden reason for their progression from the start of the year when they were pretty poor to now, has just been health and cohesion. I mean, the starting five has been the starting five every single game this season. I don't think there's too many teams that can oh, say that's that. Really nice. I, I know Baltimore can't say that. That's for sure. Um, and and so to have that that because that offensive line is a collective. They're the, the the sum of the parts. They're not just the individual. And so that's been good for their growth. And it's not a great offensive line, but it has been a better just because they've been healthy and growing and playing as a singular unit. All right, no, that is a big advantage, no doubt about it. And uh, uh, what do they what do they like to do? You mentioned you mentioned a bunch of things, so I, I won't I won't ask you to go into that at all. Uh, don't really play a fullback very often anymore. Uh, they have some Derek Watts actually been weirdly a short yardage third and one weapon. He's six or seven on third down carries this year, all third and one kind of fullback belly type plays actually had his first field conversion against the Raiders on Saturday night. So, you know, th- there's some two back run blocking out of that. Um, it's been some more heavier tight end 12 personnel has been heavier, especially since the Claypool type deal. Um, and, and that's allowed Zach Gentry to play more who's their blocking tight end. They're basically six offensive linemen, so to speak. And uh, rookie Connor Hayward, Kim Hayward's younger brother, has got more action and, and split zone type stuff and boots and a little bit in the downfield pass game. So it's been more tight end heavy than fullback heavy. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, that came up on the on the last show is the 12 personnel in particular and the fact that the Ravens have a – Slot cornerback who's a, a 6'4", 220-pound safety. And they're, they, they're not going anywhere else with that because they really don't have a choice. They don't have another player they like nearly as much as Hamilton on the field. But Hamilton's exploitable in terms of really putting a fast slot receiver on him. And yet that's not something I would say that the Steelers really maneuvered to do, meaning that they put three wide receivers on the field. They put enough, did enough 11 that they could really exploit the Ravens. And and it was surprising to me that they didn't do that in the first game. Do you think this is something they might move more to in this game? Probably not because they don't really have that third guy since trading Chase Claypool. I think slot receiver is an area to certainly look at. They had a fourth-round rookie in Calvin Austin who had a foot injury in camp, tried to get healthy during the season, and then re-injured that foot, had surgery. He's out for the year, so he's not going to be obviously involved in this game. Uh, they've gotten very little production out of their actual slot receivers. Talking about Steven Sims and Gunnar Olszewski. Olszewski originally signed to really be the return guy, muffed some punts, uh, got benched for Sims. and They're both kind of on the roster right now. Actually, Sims and Olszewski have more combined uh, rushes this year than they have receptions by one. Huh. So they, they get used in the receiver jet game and, and, and that type of stuff more than they actually are used in the pass game. So they're really much non-options there. 
um, in terms of, of the past game. Again, they've been used more in, in some of those jet runs and looks, but I think a slot receiver is going to be important, and I don't think you're going to see a lot of that true 11 just because uh, they don't have that kind of guy. They've, they have been playing, Shaw, about 25 to 30 snaps a game, it looks like, offensively. And I know Boykin has probably played a little bit less than that, right, on the year he's played. Oh, yeah, he's, he's played way. He's only been to 25 snaps once that I can see. So, I, I, you know, it just it, it, it kind of got me last last time they played that they that they didn't come after Hamilton. I was surprised when a team doesn't try and go after him. But uh, he's been he has been very good for the Ravens. So, you know, maybe it's a case of they, they just didn't really like the opportunity that much. Yeah. Now, I will say just really briefly, Deontay Johnson, even George Pickens, they've been aligned in the slot more. They've kind of moved those guys around. I think that's been to the Steelers offensive benefit, especially for Johnson to run more middle of the field, more slants. And uh, they've used more stacks and bunches to create free releases for both Johnson Pickens, even Pat Fryermuth. And so that's been good. So they're being a bit more creative and less static with their personnel. And Sims Olszewski, they play, but it is so run heavy dominant. There's not a lot of concerns in terms of them actually making plays as route runners. Um, they're really used as window dressing uh, to hold and freeze the eyes of linebackers on pre-snap motion. They get their cardio and they get their steps in, but they don't have a lot of receptions to show for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you mentioned that, you know, going after the, the inside linebackers, obviously something that's worked for a lot of teams the last couple of years against the Ravens in terms of their lack of coverage ability, lack of ability to, to handle the level two, level three stuff that, that, that where zone receivers really live. And it, it, that was something that in this last game, actually for the first time, really burned an opponent it, is that Trubisky threw an interception to each of the Ravens inside linebackers. And both of them, I, I, uh, okay, the, it, was, it was less true of the Roquan Smith interception, but of the Queen interception is a case of him closing the window. And I always say, you know, when, when, a, when you have a younger quarterback and they're throwing, they often will be f- so focused on leading the receiver the appropriate amount with a trail coverage guy that they'll lose sight of the front side of that window. And and that'll often be an area of, of potential difficulty. Yeah. I think Trubisky, one of his worst traits is that tunnel vision he developed. And those were costly interceptions, not just for the obvious turnover factor, but they were at the 17 at the 23. Yep. So three points off the board at least each time. And what was a two point win for the Ravens. And so not to, pivot too much in terms of the Steelers defense, but I'm so jealous of the the splash and playmaking you're getting from Queen, from Smith, because the Steelers off ball linebackers, they've not been terrible, but they have not provided any sort of that splash. And and obviously Smith and Queen are high level players, more talented players than what Pittsburgh has had. Um, Kenny Pickett's been better about maybe not having that tunnel vision. So potentially less of an issue, but of course you got two really talented guys and, and, and Smith and Queen, and they're always a concern to make some sort of splash and game defining type play. You know, it's incredible we're having this conversation specifically about Queen based on where he started the season because he hadn't been good for two years. And uh, you, know, the, the, you and I have talked about this before, but I don't mind bringing it up again. <laughs> the overvaluation of, of inside linebacker in draft terms recently has just been off the charts. And the, the year of the two Devons, where yep. you know it was probably the worst. Devin White going at number five, <laughs> and Devin Bush going at number ten. You know, with a lot of change thrown in on that trade uh, for for the Steelers. Anyway, it's, it's, it was a surprising, surprisingly lot they 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 gave up for it. Uh, and they got a good player initially. It looked like he'd have a better trajectory than he did. Queen's career has kind of gone the opposite way. He was terrible for two years, and uh, and has, has started to put it together in, in, a, in a really big way this year. 
Yeah, it's funny. Steeler fans uh, for so long that year in 19 debated Devin White or Devin Bush. Turns out we were all wrong. There wasn't a right <laughs> answer unless it was just n- neither of them. And, and and that's a really good point. And Pittsburgh's been trying to chase that Ryan Chazier type replacement. They've had, Ken, they've had so many off-ball linebackers come through. They've tried to either draft or trade for for agency, whether you're talking Avery Williamson, Joe Schobert, Miles Jack, Robert Splain, Vince Williams, Devin Bush. The list goes on Rose and on. Gallery. <laughs> yeah, they've not been able to find that guy. I think one part of it, just big picture is, and you know this, the, the NFL is cyclical. And so as teams were going spread and smaller and faster in horizontal pass game, defenses were trying to get smaller and faster at linebacker. Now the NFL is coming back a bit towards the power run game. You got, you know, Ricard and Baltimore and, and, and Boyle and um, Josh Oliver and those types of guys. And so those smaller linebackers are now getting killed in the run uh, because they were built for, for coverage. And you're in an AFC North with the Bengals and the Browns and Ravens, three teams that can go heavy, can run the heck out of the football. And so you're kind of seeing the consequence in the chess game when defenses went small and fast, offenses going back heavy and, and, and powerful. Yeah. That's that's a that's a really good philosophical point there, and and we're seeing the yards per carry is going up across the NFL again. So there there aren't a lot of teams holding opponents to four yards per carry or less. When I grew up, that you know that was like a gold standard that you you had to do if you allowed four yards per carry. That was a pretty bad uh, rush defense. But uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, now the Ravens have one of the few, you know, really. I think the Ravens probably have the best run defense in football. At least when when they last uh, played Pittsburgh, I looked at those numbers, watched the tape, and thought that's one of the the old school stout defenses. And I I assume that remains true. Yeah, I, I would say it is. It's been a lucky year for the Ravens in terms of generally speaking, keeping their their five top defensive linemen healthy. They did lose Michael Pierce before the season started, but they've you know they got a rookie who's who's uh, who's good in Travis Jones and. Uh, four other guys that are very serviceable, in fact, probably better than expected in, in, I would say, almost each case of the four. So it's been a good, uh, it's been a good year um, for, for the Ravens from that perspective. They've, they've gotten their run game, run defense together since they got the outside linebackers back. And that was, it was a mess before that in terms of, of making sure that was right. And then, of course, they acquired Roquan and that fixed a lot of other problems as well. So <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about um, uh, defensively then. Uh, what have you seen in terms of, of differentiation of the pass rush for starters? Uh, has there been a lot of, uh, lot of blitzing, just a fair number of, of five pluses? And then do they do a fair amount of off-ball blitzing and other elements of deception? We can address that again if it's too much for one question. Yeah, I think it's been similar. I thought without Watt, they didn't blitz as much as they should. I understand you're trying to play this balance between rush and coverage, and they had some secondary injuries as well that you have to be careful with how heavy you send people. But Pittsburgh's always always started with their their pass rush, and it's been you know poor. Even when Watt got back, it's not been as dominant as we're used to. Pittsburgh's going to break their their streak of 50-plus sack seasons. That was five in a row. There will not be a six-year in, in 2022, there are 32 sacks right now. I don't have the exact charting in front of me, but the blitz rate's about the same as last year. The five-plus rate uh, is about the same as last year as well. Um, they've not been as exotic, not as chaotic. There are so many defenses. Baltimore, I think, a lesser extent with Wink Martin Delgone, but they, they're a little more creative in terms of bugging the A-gaps and some of those sim pressures. Pittsburgh's increased that as the year's gone along, but no, they're not as pressure or sim pressure heavy pre-snap as, say, other teams around the NFL are. So it's been more conventional. There's a fair amount of twists and games and stunts with Cam Hayward, Alex Highsmith in particular, um, but it's not been as chaotic as it has been in years past. 
How about off ball blitzing? They blitz the safety or the slot corner a fair amount still, or, or even uh, uh, there's obviously a lot of teams blitz from inside linebacker fairly regularly because it's not as big of a coverage sacrifice, but how about any of those positions? Yeah, I would say less overall. Again, I don't have the numbers ex- exactly pulled up. Miles um, Jack, Devin Bush, sometimes those are those green dogs where the back stays in and those guys will mm-hmm. rush. Sometimes it's kind of half pressure to minimize quarterback mobility and things like that. Nickel pressure, not as much. They've had different sub packages. No Mike Hilton, he was their blitzing kind of top guy. Uh, he's obviously with Cincinnati right now. So the safeties have blitz more. Mika Fitzpatrick had a pressure that turned into a sack against the Raiders. Um, again, it's more situational. It's not often but you've seen an increase there. So that's probably one wrinkle to look for. Some of those boundary type blitzes from, from Minka Fitzpatrick. Terrell Edmonds has blitzed um, more this season. He's kind of been playing in the box more as well, which increases that blitz rate. So um, there's been maybe that aspect of it, I would say. All right. So the defensive line, let's talk about it a little bit. They've, they certainly one of the strengths of the Steelers, but, but uh, Cam Hayward in particular, I know that the loss of two, it, it, it put a big damper on the, on the season in a lot of ways in, in terms of his retirement, but, uh, with with Hayward in the first game against Baltimore, they were really trying to line him up directly over nose on a few plays, including the big run by Dobbins. I, I, I seem to remember he was he was blocked by Linderbaum and then picked right. up by Cleveland. Yeah, they've um, in that game in particular, it was a bit strange. They've had an issue in the middle trying to replace. What happened is they have two nose tackles, Tyson Aluwalu and Montrevious Adams. Aluwalu has been a rock and a really good player for many years, but he's now. I believe he's 34, 35, when he's had a bunch of injuries. Really, his kind of downfall began against Baltimore, I think, in 2020, when Ricard had a cut block and fractured his ankle or tore. Ooh. I think it actually might have um, didn't fracture his ankle. That was the MCL sprain that he had. And since then, he's had a high ankle sprain. Then last year, fractured his ankle very early, six quarters into the Steelers season. The run game really kind of tanked from there. He's not been the same player. He certainly looks worn down, and he's going to retire after the season. Montrevious Adams has not been quite as good as, as I hoped he would uh, be in his first full year with the team, although Adams played well against the Raiders. So they've had an issue finding that nose tackle. Hayward played more nose tackle than what he usually does in that Ravens game. They do also have these overfronts and against teams to go really tight end heavy with multiple tight ends to one side. Pittsburgh will run their overfront and shift the, the strength to the tight end side and have a defensive lineman play over tight end. And sometimes that puts you know defensive ends at that nose tackle kind of tilted nose in the A-gap. Um, position. So that's pretty common what they've done. But Hayward's been fantastic. He's coming off his best game of the season against uh, the Raiders on Saturday night. Larry Ogunjobi's a hot and cold player, but he's been better as of late as well, maybe a bit healthier than than he was battling some toe and knee injuries throughout the season. Um, One thing they do, and it probably will be less of a concern because uh, this game won't be in Pittsburgh, but the Steelers have been stemming their front. And so a lot of late line shifts to try to get teams to jump They've drawn six false starts this year off of stemming their front, and they only started doing that in week six against the Bucs. And so, again, less of a concern this week because of the the environment, but um, I think they've done some of those creative type things um, to, uh, to to create some havoc and some different looks for the offensive line. Okay, let's let's define that a little better for the listeners because I'm not familiar with that term, actually. But stemming the front, you mean moving over usually two in terms of gap assignment for each each player? Yeah, uh, what it just means is just a late line shift. And so the D line is shifted one way. And then, you know, based on right right before the snap of the football, they're going to all shift down a gap, let's say. And mm-hmm. basically because they've been doing it, Pittsburgh has been at home because offenses work on silent counts. They're working on movement. And so when the D line moves, there's that instinct to, okay, the ball is being snapped. That's why the D line's moving. And so they'll get somebody to flinch, a tight end, a guard, 
something like that. And that's been her real weapon of hitting yardage, yardage this year for Pittsburgh's defense. Again, less of a concern this week, but it's one of those sneaky chestnut checkers yeah. things Pittsburgh's done well. But it's it also screws up the line calls if if you've got it called a certain way and and you're you move from one a gap to the other a gap or or one to minus one if you want to call it that or one to one the opposite side that that that'll uh, that'll mess up a line call potentially if the if the if the linebacker doesn't also move with that. Yeah, there's a consequence. I think actually in that Ravens game, Pittsburgh got in trouble because they were trying to do some of that stuff and they were shifting mid snap and so they weren't back in their stance and that created some some havoc. So there's a cost and a downside to that. But just one thing I've noticed since we're talking D line that, that I wanted to pass along. By the way, I should uh, note in this one, Chris Wormley played in that game, that Ravens game, mm-hmm. will not play in this one. He's a torn ACL. His season's been over since that Ravens game. He's always been somebody that's done well against his former team, and so losing him is certainly a loss. Yeah, we, we liked him when he was here, that's for sure. I'm uh I'm I'm sad to see that happen to him. Um let's move on to let's move on. the linebackers. I think we talked a little bit about, but is there anybody else you want to talk about among the off ball group? I think Miles Jack, you know, when they signed him of one of the many linebackers they've tried to to bring in this revolving door uh post Ryan Chazier injury, uh, which is now years ago, you know, I thought he, he played well to start the year racking up a bunch of tackles. He's not been bad, but he's lacked the splash and he's been playing hurt as well. He's got groin issues, knee issues. Um, last year or last week against the Raiders, he was only a base defense guy. Only played in Pittsburgh's base three, four defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin Bush played in nickel. Robert Splane was the every down linebacker. And so Jack to me is kind of fading towards the finish line and his plays regressed. There was one play against the Raiders where he had to walk out in space on Josh Jacobs to cover a nine route and he could not run. It just looked painful to watch. I'm sure it was painful for him. And so Miles Jack, a guy that's really trying to fight through some injuries to to finish the season. So Miles Jack, when he was drafted, there were questions about him having a degenerative injury. Is this still the same thing he's working through? Or it's hard just- to know for sure. I don't think that it is. Uh, he's been on the report for some different stuff. I think toe, knee right now, it's a groin. So I don't imagine that's related. Um, but I just, you know, I, I think whatever he's dealing with this year is kind of wearing him down towards the end. Okay. I can't remember if it was hip or ankle or I sorry, hip or, or knee that was the original. I think it was a knee. Yeah. I, I think he had an injury there um, and that's why he dropped, but I don't know if that's related to what he's dealing with now. All right. All right. Very interesting. Uh, let's talk about the secondary a little bit. Is the Steelers secondary hung up, uh, held up fairly well with injuries? They're better now. There were points mid-season, early season. There was one game, one game against Tampa Bay where three of their four starters were out, and they still won that game amazingly against Tom Brady. But but they're much healthier now in terms of Levi Wallace, Cam Sutton, the starting outside corners, Minka Fitzpatrick at free safety. Terrell Edmonds should return after missing last week with a hamstring injury. He should play in this one. Uh, the slot corners, Millette is healthy. Probably won't have Trey Norwood, who was working as a dime defender, was kind of being phased out, has not had a great year in his second season. But this team, generally speaking, uh, healthier now than where they were, uh, you know, I don't know, back in week six. All right. If you're looking ahead to next year's draft, what where, what do you think are the biggest priorities for the Steelers? Yeah, I think trenches is kind of just that broad way to to – to describe where this team could upgrade both defensive line, offensive line. Um, I, I think defensively, you're going to see some changes in terms of free agency guys leaving uh, in terms of the defensive line guys that are on expiring contracts include Tyson Oliwalu, Chris Wormley, Larry Ogunjobi, Kim Hayward will be another year older. So probably want to get some more youth there. They have some young guys like Isaiah Latimer, like the Marvin Leal who could have an, uh, an impact in a role uh, in this game, a rookie from Texas A&M, but I think D line help will be, 
important offensive line, left guard, maybe left tackle as well. Andy Weidel in Philadelphia, as you know, the Eagles have, you know, arguably the best offensive line and defensive line in football right now. He's a trench guy that builds things inside out. And so he was in Baltimore with uh, Ozzie Newsom. And so that's kind of how they built that team as well. So that's probably the blueprint he'll carry. But you could talk about, you know, strong safety, potentially inside linebacker, cornerback, looking for that number one shutdown guy. Don't have that on the team, but it is really hard to nail down where this team will go because of all the decisions in free agency and whoever they sign because they'll have cap space to spend. So it's hard to really give that path without knowing what's all going to happen before it. Any possibility of a big trade? I know you know the Ravens have probably one player, but they really might have two that they'd want to trade. And I'll just throw this out there. Patrick Queen will be entering year four. And obviously there's a lot of reason to like him a lot more now than anybody did before this year, but uh, they have to, they have to give him the uh, fifth year option. So he's fairly cheap, fairly cheap, still first round money, but fairly cheap for, for 2023, not cheap in 2024, although not terribly expensive because the inside linebacker fifth year option is not that expensive. Would you see him as a player who would have uh, trade value? And do you see that it maybe as even being a fit for the Steelers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe there would be some value there. I don't know how much. Um, and then if you trade for him, do you give him a contract extension based on what you gave up for him? You know, I don't know what those conversations would be like. Is he a fit for the Steelers? You know, I wouldn't say no, but I think they probably want to go back to the draft because they've tried the trade option so much. And I think they'd rather try to to build through the draft. And I know they did that with Devin Bush or attempted that Minka. with Devin Bush. But um, yeah, and, and, and Minka, I don't think Queen's quite at that that Minka type level. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was a special set of circumstances there and, and a pretty rare move by Pittsburgh. You know, will there be any major trade with the Steelers? I don't anticipate it right now. Um, you know, but what one interesting thing is, like I said earlier, it's a new regime. It's not Kevin Colbert where you kind of basically knew how he operated. Now you have two new people in Omar Khan and Andy Weidel. I think this team could be more active. I think they could be more likely to trade down in the draft. One thing Kevin Colbert almost never did was trade down in a draft, even beyond the first round. At any point in the draft, it was rare, only traded down in the first round once his whole time in Pittsburgh and oh one his second year. Um, as the Steelers GM. And so that's probably one thing you'll see uh, this team do more of, but I don't think there's a, a big trade happening. I think the Claypool deal to Chicago was that big trade. All right. So how long has Colbert been making, making the picks? Uh, Colbert was hired in 2000 and he ran through the 2022 NFL draft. He stepped down after that draft. And so whatever the 23 or whatever, whatever number of years that is, it was uh, 2000 to uh, 2022. So you wonder about, you know, good drafting teams and the Ravens have been fortunate enough to basically have the same two guys be making the pick since the very beginning. Uh, you know, Phil Savage was there too for, a, for, for some of those early years. Don't want to give him no credit or anything, but Ozzy was, had the final call and then uh, it went over to DaCosta, who's been at least a scout for that entire period. So it's really nice to have stability in the front office when it's good. Yeah, and Pittsburgh had that, and they still have that, but there was turnover in the front office for the first time basically in in 20 years. They lost one of their top guys, somebody that was vying for the GM job in Brandon Hunt. He's in Philadelphia now. Uh, they had different scouts brought in. Omar Khan, Andy Ryder brought in some of their guys. And so, you know, one thing that's made Pittsburgh so consistent drafting was they've had literally the same people evaluating for Colbert's entire tenure, essentially. Now you have some new people in there that, you know, may create some new things, some new surprises, and a different way of doing business. But uh, still Tomlin there, still Con, who was Con was hired in 2001, one year after Kevin Colbert got there. So he certainly knows the Pittsburgh way. Andy Weidel's first job ever was in Pittsburgh. Um, he got there right before he left, right before Kevin Colbert was hired. And so there's still a lot of Pittsburgh ties and roots to, to what they do. Their philosophy won't be dramatically different. 
but there's going to be some tweaks and, and changes around the edges. All right. Outstanding. So looking forward to this game. Is there a player you think maybe on offense and defense for the Steelers that matches up well against the Ravens? Uh, that's a good question overall. I hadn't thought about it, I guess, too much. Um, you know, I just think for, for Pittsburgh, it, it's a very simple key to them redeeming themselves from that first matchup in terms of running the football better and running probably with a better commitment. They kind of got away from the run game in the second half of that one and certainly stopping the run. Um, so how well can you just have good gap integrity and how well does that defensive line play? They really got beat up by the Ravens in that first matchup. So, you know, is there somebody that matches up really well? You know, I don't know. Um, you know, currently I think the Ravens are a really tough team. They don't have a lot of a lot of major holes in it. Um, you know, a healthier TJ Watt this time around, you know, maybe that's gonna be a benefit. Um, but you know, I think I'm just really focused on on the basics, the fundamentals, and of course Pittsburgh taking care of the football, three picks, not gonna be a way to beat the Ravens this time around. All right. Alex, always a pleasure to talk football with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh tell folks again where they can find your show and your and your writing. Yeah, thank you, Ken. Uh, you can find us at SteelersDepot.com again on Friday morning. Myself and Josh Carney, Jonathan Hightrader will have a, a full scouting report breaking down the Ravens offense, defense, special teams, both individually and schematically. And you can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM. They're always open on Twitter. Love to hear from you. I'll get right back to you. If you have something you're passionate about, you don't have to be as analytic as Alex. You don't have to have as much, you know, a detailed study like some of the PFF people have had. Just whatever you'd like to talk passionately about that you think would be interesting. Uh, I'm sure we can craft it into a show if you give me a, a, a direct a DM on Twitter. Uh, Alex, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Ken. And, and good luck on Sunday night. You too. Talk to you later and talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.